Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. We're continuing our series this morning called Dark Night. And we started last week and we started looking at the life of Joseph and we looked at the things that went on in Joseph's life and how God was at work even in those times. And today I want us to continue that line of thinking. I want us to talk about the life of Moses. And this comes right on the heels of the account of Joseph, Joseph more or less. And what you find is that Joseph, after Joseph dies, the Bible tells us that there arose a king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. He didn't know the story of Joseph. He didn't know everything that Joseph had done. And Joseph's uh, people, the Israelites, they're there, they're living in the land of Egypt. They begin to multiply, multiply greatly. And Pharaoh gets concerned because he's afraid they're going to overtake the Egyptians. And so he issues a decree that says, I want you to kill, he talks to the Hebrew midwives, I want you to kill any male child who is born. Let the females live, but kill the males. And we find in the Bible that that doesn't work out. God actually uh, works through that situation. The midwives don't obey. And then he issues another decree that says, if you have a male child, throw him into the Nile River and destroy those male children to try to uh, exercise some sort of population control. And you probably know the story that Moses' mom has baby Moses, and she takes him. They put him in a kind of a waterproof basket, and they send him down the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him and adopts this little baby as her own. And she's actually the one that gives him the name, Moses, because it sounds like the Hebrew word that means to draw out. And so as Moses was drawn out of the waters, she gives him that name. And now he is brought up in the house of Pharaoh himself for a number of years. Now, why are we talking about that? Because that sounds like a pretty good deal. That sounds like a good story. Well, we find that it takes a turn and we're going to look at it in just a moment. And Moses ends up in a desert place. He ends up in a wilderness and he ends up out far removed from where he began. If you look throughout the Bible, you find that these trips to the wilderness or these pilgrimages to the wilderness, these times spent in desert places, they are commonplace. If you look back, you'll find that John the Baptist actually ministered in the Judean wilderness. You find that Paul, after his conversion, he went to the land of Arabia and he was there for a while learning and being prepared by God. You then find that Jesus was tempted for 40 days out in the wilderness after his baptism. And of course, most famously, we think about the Hebrews as they were coming out of Egypt before they went into the promised land, how they wandered around in the wilderness led by God for 40 years before they entered into the promised land. So you find that God uses this time in the lives of his people. And we find that Moses is no different. Moses spends some time far removed in a desert place. Why are we talking about this? Well, every single one of us at some point in time will spend some time in the desert. 
Each of us will have some desert seasons. Each of us will have some time when we don't know how long we're going to be in that particular situation, and it doesn't seem like anything's going to change, and it seems like the same old, same old, day after day after day after day. And so today I want us to look at this account from the life of Moses, and I want us to look at what can we glean from that, what can we gather from that, that would help each of us when we enter into those times, those dark times or those dark nights, those desert times, those wilderness wanderings. Well, let's look at how Moses got there to begin with in Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 It says, one day when Moses had grown up, now we'll look at a passage a little later in Acts chapter 7, and it tells us that Moses was 40 years old at this time. So for 40 years, he's been brought up in the house of Pharaoh. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a priest and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We pray that you would speak to us from your word. We pray that you would give us direction and wisdom and encouragement. And Father, I pray for each person here, each person watching or listening, who may be going through a desert season. They may be in one of these moments. Father, I pray that by your word that you might give us great encouragement and direction for the next step. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Moses. He goes out. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Now, mind you, Moses was brought up for a time in his mother's home whenever he was a little baby because his sister saw that Pharaoh's daughter had taken him and then went to him and said, hey, um, I, I think you need a nursemaid for him, don't you? Well, yes, I do. I got just the person and went back and got her mom. And so her, Moses' mom actually got to spend some time with Moses. And so somewhere along the line, Moses came to understand that he was not all Egyptian. He was Egyptian in appearance. He may have been Egyptian in manner. He may have been Egyptian in some ways in upbringing. But Moses understood that he was a Hebrew. And so he went out. He saw that there was an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. The, the slave driver, the slave master was beating one of these Hebrews. And so he intervenes, kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Now we say, well, how, what, that wouldn't be a big deal. Why would that be a big deal? Well, it'd be a big deal because they would notice that this guy's missing. And who would get blamed? The Hebrews. They would be blamed for it. So the next day when he sees two Hebrews fighting and he says, hey guys, break it up. One of them says, you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian. So now Moses flees. He goes to the land of Midian. Midian is way over to the east. So he leaves Egypt and he flees to Midian. The Bible says he sits down next to a well. Now we're not going, we're not going to read the the story in the in-between, but basically what happens while he's there 
This man, uh, the Bible refers to him by two different names, uh, Reuel and also Jethro. Some people have said that one of those, like Jethro, was his priestly name because he was a priest of Midian, the Bible says. But these seven daughters that this guy has, they come to the well to draw water for their father's flock. And when they get there, there are some shepherds who are already there and they run them off. They don't want them there at the the well. And Moses intervenes, runs the shepherds off, draws water for all the flock. And then the daughters go home and Jethro comes out and says, why are you back so soon? It doesn't normally take you this, it doesn't normally take you this short a period of time to accomplish this chore. What brings you back so soon? And they said, oh, there's this Egyptian and he was at the well and he kind of intervened and he drew water for us. And Jethro, like probably like any dad who has a number of daughters that may be unmarried, where is he? You didn't bring him home? He sounds like a good catch. Where is this man? And also, they, it was a sign of hospitality. Show hospitality to strangers. Why, why didn't you bring him back for dinner? So they go and get Moses. Moses comes back, and Moses ends up marrying one of the daughters. And the Bible tells us as you start looking in and doing the math and looking at it, this is a number of years later from the point that Moses ends up in Midian to the point that we're looking at in just a moment where he has an encounter with God. Now, in a very real way, you find that, that Joseph went from the pit to the palace, and now this is reversed with Moses. He's going from the palace, and now he's in Midian. He's basically in the pit. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And this is where we find that God works out there in the wilderness. So uh, let's look down in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. It says, during those days, during, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So what does that have to do with Moses? Well, while that's going on, while Moses gets married, while Moses uh, tends sheep, while Moses has a wife and has a child, while all that's going on over in the land of Midian, there's something going on in the land of Egypt. God is still at work. In the wilderness, God is still at work. Sometimes that's what we think. Sometimes we think that, or sometimes we don't remember that. Sometimes we think that God isn't at work. I'm in the wilderness. I'm in a desert place. God must not be at work. God must not be doing anything. I don't see God's hand anywhere. Where is God in the middle of my dark night? Where is God in the middle of dry, dry time? Where is God in the middle of all my wilderness time? Where is God in this season of tending the flock day in and day out over and over the same old mundane thing? Where is God in the middle of this? God is still at work. Even in the land of Egypt, there's all this stuff going on. The people are crying out for deliverance. The people realize it's gotten bad. And by the way, that God has already promised the land to them. God has promised a land, and that land is not the land of Egypt. He's got to get them out of Egypt to get them back to the land that he promised. But now they're in slavery. Notice it says, verse 24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now, sometimes people make a big deal out of the word remember. 
And they'll say something like this. See, that shows that God can forget things. No, that's not what it means. I am so thankful that I do not serve a forgetful God. I am so thankful that I do not serve a God who says, now, now what was I going to do about? What was I, what was I, you ever walk into a room and you say, what did I come in here for? You ever have that? What did I come in here for? Why am I here? What was I here for? What was I thinking? Where am I, you know, well, you know, uh, my grandfather used to tell the story of uh, one of his, one of his neighbors came to him and said, you know, the other day he said, I, I, I went into a room and I did I forgot even while I was there. And my grandfather said, that's nothing. He said, I was going upstairs and I got halfway up and I thought, why was I going up here? He said, and then I started looking around and realized, was I going up or down? And so you get to that point and here's, here's God. God doesn't, God doesn't do that. God never gets to that point. So what does it mean? God remembered well, it's a word in the Hebrew for it. The word is zakar. And the word means to turn one's attention to someone to act on their behalf. It wasn't that God had forgotten them. It's that God looked upon them, turned his full attention and said, it's time for me to act. I haven't forgotten you, but it's time now for me to work on your behalf. That's the word. That's what it means. So we have, and God heard their groaning, and God turned his attention toward the Hebrews, and he is acting based upon the covenant, based upon the promise that he made to Abraham. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Not that I forgot it, but now I'm about to act. Now I'm about to take action. You find in John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. My father is working until now. Now that doesn't mean, that does not mean that God was working up to a point and then he said, tag, Jesus, you're it. Now I'm not going to work. That's not what it means. Jesus is saying, my father has been at work up until this point and he is still working. And now I am working as well alongside him. That's the fleshed out meaning that's going on there. God is always at work. We just sang about that. Even when we don't see him, he's working. Even when we don't feel him, he's working. He never stops working. God is always at work. In the middle of your desert season, God is at work. Yeah, but I don't feel him. God's at work. Yeah, but I don't see him. God's at work. He's at work. Don't abandon that season simply because you don't see his hand is in, with a clearly evident way moving in some incredible miraculous way. God is still at work. God is always moving, even if you feel like you're standing still. So in the midst of the wilderness, remember, God is at work. In your wilderness, he's at work. In your wilderness, his hand is moving. In your wilderness, God's wisdom is in operation. In your wilderness, he knows exactly what he's doing. Notice what happens after this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping his flock, keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take 
your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. In the wilderness, God is still at work. And in the wilderness, God knows where you are. The King James says this. Now, the the ESV says that Moses was on the west side, the west side of the desert. King James says on the back side of the desert. He was on the back. He was in the back 40. If you look at Midian on the map and you look to the west, that would have been where Moses was. He was over at Mount Horeb. That's another name for Mount Sinai, where God was going to meet with the people and meet with Moses face to face there on Sinai and give him the Ten Commandments. He's there at this mountain, and this is a preview of what is to come. And Moses has the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, and he's out there, and he's out in the desert. He's out in the wilderness area, and he's at the mountain where God is going to meet him later. And God shows up. Don't you, aren't you glad that God knows where you are in the midst of your wilderness, in the midst of your desert? That he doesn't show up in some bush far removed and he goes, well, not here. Too bad. Missed that opportunity. But that's not how God works. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what you're going through in your wilderness experience. God knows exactly what you're feeling. God knows exactly what you're thinking. God knows the depth of your pain that you're going through. God knows the depth of your discomfort that you're going through. He is acquainted with all of your ways. You find in Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The psalmist says, God, you know everything about humans. You know everything about your people. You know everything about us. There's nothing that's hidden from you. And so therefore, God knows where you are. Even when we don't know where we are. God knows where we are. And so here's Moses. He's out in the wilderness and God shows up to give him a revelation of himself. Now, it was probably a little less than 40 years, but let's just say it was 40 years. Okay, let's just round up. 40 years, Moses is in the wilderness because he he was 40 years old whenever he leaves Egypt. We don't know exactly how long. It probably was a matter of weeks that it took him to get to Midian if he went straight away to Midian. But let's just say 40 years. Moses is there in Midian for 40 years, tending the flock. 40 years. That's 14,600 days tending the flock. Get up in the morning. Go count sheep, literally. Count the sheep. Eat something. Hang out with the sheep. Protect them from predators. Wander around with them. Lead them here. Lead them there. Get them out of trouble. In the evening, count sheep again before you go to sleep. Literally, you got some watches you got to take during the night. Watch the sheep. Get up the next day. Do it all over again. And so over and over and over again, hanging out with the sheep, going through this mundane stuff, 14,600 days going over and over and over and over with this. 40 years worth of tending sheep, yet God knew where he was. And then God shows up in a burning bush and speaks to Moses. How many burning bushes do you think he saw during those 14,600 days? Well, I mean, one. (laughs) So think about this, 14,599 just regular old bush days. 
and one burning bush day. That's all it takes. You do know that. One day of the burning bush makes the other 14,599 seem pretty inconsequential. But can I tell you something? God knew where Moses was on that day of the burning bush just as much as he knew where he was the other 14,599 days. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what he was doing. And all those other days of the regular bush were just as important in developing Moses, and we'll look at that in a moment, in developing Moses into the person that God had in mind, as was that one day. So many times we want to live from burning bush to burning bush. We want to live from one high experience with God to the next high experience with God. And we look at the in-between as something that's inconsequential. We look at the in-between as something that is not important. We look at the in-between as something that really doesn't matter. But can I tell you, are you just as faithful in those days of the regular bush as you are in the days of the burning bush? That's the real question. Because God knows where you are. And God is putting you through that for a reason. And yeah, it's mundane. And yeah, it seems like tending sheep over and 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 over. It's been said that there is no, there is no class of livestock more frustrating that requires more attention and care than sheep. Do you know why? Because they're dumb. Oh, they're cute, but they're dumb. They're dumb animals. They're just not really that smart. And so they require a great deal of care. They require a great deal of attention. They require a great deal of patience. And in the midst of this day in and day out, all these thousands of days and nights that Moses is spending dealing with all these sheep, God says, I know exactly where you are. I, I, I can see you exactly where you are, Moses. And in exactly the right time, I'm going to give you a burning bush moment. But you need to be faithful in the days of this regular bush. Chuck Swindoll's friend, uh, I don't know what his name was. He was just referred to as Chuck Swindoll's friend every time I read this from Chuck Swindoll. He says this. He said he had a friend that used to say this. God moves among the casseroles. God moves among the everyday stuff of life. Not in necessarily the big, the big grand feast times, but God moves among the casseroles. Among the everyday, plain crackers and cream cheese and sweetened or, or uh, uh, condensed uh, soups and you know cream of mushroom soup and cream of chicken soup god moves among those casseroles he moves among the commonplace moments of life and god is at work in our casseroles in our commonplace desert experiences that's why we find this command in 1 corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In your burning bush days, and your regular bush days, because God knows exactly where you are. And God's watching you as his child. God knows where you are. God knows his plan. God knows what he's going to do. After Moses speaks to God, and God speaks to Moses, God says, Moses, uh, I've seen, I've heard what's been going on with my people. And I'm going to deliver them. Moses had to think, that is great news. And God said, and you're the guy to do it. Wait a minute, time out. Let's back up. Wait a minute. I don't know if you got the right guy. This is the wrong, wrong bush, wrong, wrong shepherd. I'm not, I'm not the one. 
God, in your wilderness, God is still at work. God knows where you are. And then also in the wilderness, God prepares you for the next step of faith. That's exactly what he's doing with Moses. Look at Exodus 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. You see what God is saying? Moses, it's not so much a matter of who you are. It's a matter of who I am. And I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You're going to come back here and you're going to worship me here, right where you are right now. Moses was out there for 40 years, God preparing him. It only took a few moments for Moses to make this mistake and kill this Egyptian. It only took a few moments to get Moses out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses. And so Moses is there in the wilderness and Moses is out there with the sheep. Let's understand this. Until this point, there's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that Moses even knew how to deal with sheep. He was brought up in the palace. They had people for that. He saw the shepherds in the marketplace. If they wanted to eat something that was livestock, they would call upon people to bring them the meat to eat. Moses did not have to go tend the sheep there in Egypt. He didn't have to because he was brought up as a prince. He was brought up there in the household, in the royal household. And now here he is thrust out into the wilderness area. And now he starts tending sheep. He's tending sheep at 40 years of age. You ever change jobs later in life? Imagine that. You have been in a palace. Whatever you wanted, you were just able to snap your fingers or say the word, and it was brought to you. You didn't have to raise a finger. And now suddenly, you're out doing menial labor, common labor, forgotten labor, out on the backside of the desert with a bunch of stinking animals. And you're out there having to learn to navigate this season. Why was that important? Because this was not the only flock that God was going to give to Moses. God was about to give him a whole bunch of people to lead as a shepherd and shepherd them as he brought them out of Egypt. That's the terminology that's used in the Bible. Psalm 77 verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Psalm 78, 52, then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Moses had to learn. God was preparing him for his next step of faith. Moses not only had to learn, but can I tell you this? Sometimes in the wilderness, not only do we have to learn, we have to unlearn some stuff. There are some things that we have to unlearn when we are in the wilderness place. There are some things we have to unlearn when we're in a desert season. There are some things that God says, I got to break you of that. There are some things that God says, I need to give you some time out in the wilderness so that that dies off. I need to take some time to get some Egypt out of you, he might say. So there are some things we unlearn and there are some things that we learn in the midst of that. But regardless of what it is, the learning or the unlearning, it's God preparing us for that next step of faith. Here's what we need to do. We need to be able to see life interruptions as divine instruction. We need to be able to look upon interruptions in our life when God interrupts it 
that, okay, God, what are you wanting to teach me here? How are you wanting to equip me for this next step? We can look at 2020 in that way. It has been a life interruption. Can we sometimes maybe have a better view of it, or would we have a better view of it, if we quit just looking at it as just a life interruption, but understood God's trying to teach each of us something in this season. This life interruption is divine instruction. And so we must approach it with an understanding that God can use these desert season in each of our lives, no matter what it is, in order to equip us and prepare us for the next step of faith that only he sees. As one of my mentors said one time many years ago, never forget that the faith that God requires you to exercise now is the faith that is needed for the next step. God grows us in our faith, not just for that moment, but because God sees what the next step is. God knew, I'm going to give this old boy a job, and he's going to be out in Midian, and he's going to be forgotten, and he's going to get frustrated. Moses kind of had an anger problem. You find that back there in, earlier in his life. And then later in his life, he, it still comes out from time to time. God says, I'm going to give him <laughs> a bunch of the most frustrating type of livestock possible and I'm going to give him 40 years with him. I'm going to give him 40 years with the most frustrating type of livestock that requires the most careful amount of care and I'm going to give him that and and I'm and I'm going to use that to prepare him. It, that may be happening in your life this desert season God may be using it to prepare you this divine interruption or this this life interruption is divine instruction and God may be using it in your life in that way. Well, why did Moses do that anyway? Was it just out of anger? No. If you look over in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, first martyr, Stephen in his sermon tells us why Moses did what he did. Why Moses struck down that Egyptian. Acts chapter 7 verse 22. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Here it is in verse 25. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Somewhere in there, and we don't know exactly how it happened, but God had revealed to Moses that God was going to use Moses to deliver his people. And Moses, instead of waiting on God's timing for that next step of faith, Moses took it upon himself. Moses launched his own small-scale, self-centered type of deliverance, and it failed. Moses supposed, according to Stephen, Moses supposed they would understand. Oh, Moses is one of us. Moses is in a position of power. Let's all rise up and rebel against the Egyptians. But they didn't. That's not God's way. God was preparing him for the next step. That's why we find in the book of Hebrews, in the hall of fame of faith, as it's called in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. by faith, he, that's Moses, left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. Now, the first time he left, he was afraid. The second time when he leads the people out, he's, uh, the first time he, he left the king, he was afraid. The next time when he leads the people out of Egypt, he's not afraid. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
He endured as seeing him who was invisible. Why did Moses, why was he able to endure and lead God's people out? Because he was looking to God. Even though he couldn't see him, he recognized, God, you're in the middle of this. Where did he learn this lesson? 40 years in Midian. He learned that God was working. 40 years in Midian. He learned that God was with him. 40 years in Midian. He learned that God was preparing him for the next step of faith. And the same can be true for each of us. How do you endure your desert experience? How do you get beyond that? How do you take that next step of faith? You endure as seeing him who is invisible. Even though you don't see Christ, even though you don't see the hand of God, you trust that he's there and you live like he's right there before you in perfect 2020 clarity. I don't know what desert season each of you are in. I don't know what wilderness place God may be leading you through. I don't know what wilderness place God may have led you out of. But can I promise you something? In the midst of your wilderness, God is still at work. He's still moving. He hasn't quit. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may not know it. You may not be able to put your finger on it. But God is still at work. And he knows where you are. His eyes upon you. He remembers you. He will, in his time, act on your behalf. And, and right now, he's preparing you for whatever that next step of faith is. So you can give thanks in the midst of that wilderness. You can give thanks in that desert place. You can trust him and endure as seeing him who is invisible. Knowing that he's right there with you. Knowing that his presence is there with you. Yeah, but I, I don't have a burning bush. You don't have to have a burning bush. Be faithful in the regular bush days. Because God is just as much present with his people in the days of the regular bush as he is the burning bush. He's still God. He's still with us, even in the midst of our desert places. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And we're so thankful that in the midst of our difficulty, you're there. Father, we're thankful that when we were in the desert place of sin, without hope, without anything to sustain us, running to all sorts of other things to try to find peace, to try to work our way toward you. Father, when we were lost and hopeless and helpless in our sin, you sent Jesus. Moses is a, is a picture. He's an Old Testament picture of the deliverance that Christ gives that Christ came and rescued his people from slavery, the slavery of sin, and brought us out and is the good shepherd. He watches over us. He cares for us. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anybody here, anybody watching or listening to this, never made a decision to follow Christ, today would be the day they would say yes to the good shepherd. They would say yes to the one who cares. Yes to the one who prepares our hearts. Yes to the one who works in us. Yes to the one who came near to us when we were far from him. Yes to the only one who can offer forgiveness for our sins and new life. Father, I pray today would be the day they would say yes to you. They would turn from their sin and turn toward you. And Father, I pray for anybody here Anybody watching, listening that 
are in the midst of a desert time. They're in the midst of a dry wilderness season. Father, I pray that you might give them comfort. You might let them know that you're still working. That by your word, you might encourage them and let them know that you're still watching them. Your eye is still upon them. You know exactly where they are. You haven't lost track of anybody, ever. And Father, I pray that we'd be faithful to follow you in every mundane day, in every commonplace day, in every day of the casserole and the regular bush, we would just continue to follow you and that you would prepare our hearts through those moments for the next step of faith, whatever that looks like for each one of us. Father, we give you thanks and praise and glory for who you are and all you've done. And Father, by faith, we give you thanks for all those things that we haven't seen accomplished yet. Father, we give you thanks and praise and glory in advance because you're the only one worthy of it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.